At Fidelity, value is automatic, starting with the rate you can get on your cash when you open a new retail brokerage account. Learn more at fidelity.com slash trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to educate, teach you. Put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. When is a miss not a miss? That is the question. When the stock's inexpensive, hated, and devoid of any love, that's when... That was easy. And if it isn't hammered ahead, and there's too much love, then you can better be eviscerated! Thank you, NVIDIA. Yep, as we go through the most crowded week of this reporting period, a low-energy day, Dow gained 52 points, S&P dipped 0.15%, NASDAQ lost 0.81%. That could reverse tomorrow. Well, we have to talk about Mrs. Haversham. Oh, maybe you missed that Dickens class. Great expectations. Let's start with five good misses. Yeah, I got five of them. Well, I want to give them a hug. What I'm talking about is 3M, Pfizer, Whirlpool, AMD, and best miss for last. Need I say more? This morning at 6.30 on the dot, 3M reported it was immediately greeted with booze because the company widened the range of what occurred. Widened the range? Well, that's a sin if you lower the bottom of it, isn't it? Well, that's exactly what happened, which meant the company was more cautious than we thought. It also cut its year forecast from 1060 uh, to 11.05 down to 10.45 to 10.90. Ooh, really scary. In pre-market, the stock of this iconic conglomerate immediately fell to one from 193 to 187. It was a gigantic air pocket. I couldn't believe it. And it was a jarring decline, the type that makes you wonder whether after months in the wilderness, 3M has finally given up the ghost and everybody on board is done for. But then a funny thing happened. Well, not so funny if you sold it. The stock started walking its way back up. Bye-bye-bye! Bye-bye-bye! As the less hair-trigger traders digested what we, what we call the deck, the big set of slides that tells you how the company really did. What did people see that turned this stock around to the point that it's 7.20 a.m.? That's 50 minutes after reported. It was actually up three points or nine from the bottom created by morons. They looked at the five print. The fine print, that's what they did. They looked specifically at the key healthcare division that had really disappointed in the previous quarter. Instead of being down, the division actually had sales up 2.4% in U.S. dollars and 4.8% in foreign currency. It was an amazing turn for a business line that people had given up on. Most 3M camp followers, of which I am one, believed that 3M would not only show no progress in the quarter after disappointing numbers from the previous quarter, but, well, let's just say they expected a real disaster. Expectations were about as low as you can get. So now instead of a stock that you would expect would go down on the shaded forecast, you have one that surprised what, what had been the quiet consensus, we call it the whisper, so to speak, that was below these numbers. The whisper was lower. Given that the stock had been at $259 a year ago, buyers simply could not resist that tasty morsel. And the stock ended up having one very nice scotch tape kind of a day, finishing up $3.75. Oh, one more thing. Lots of the weakness that 3M did have emanated from Asia. Can you imagine what would happen if we got a trade deal? 
this stock might be the ideal one, especially because it got a 2.8% yield. And it's what I regard a call on the tax, the talks, call on the talks that are going on starting tomorrow. I think 197, you're not getting a lot of China risk. Okay, Pfizer. It reported an inline quarter, but it slashed its guidance from 304 to 282 down to 292. Brutal! Yeah, brutal. Totally brutal. 382. I mean, I don't know. Down 10, down 20. Did it really matter? See, the stock, which went out at $39.50, immediately shed a dollar. And you could tell it was going to be a rough day for Pfizer holders because that forecast gave you little or no growth. Yuck! But then more of that fine print triumph. Pfizer reported some amazing fourth quarter operational growth, 5%. I was blown away by how strong that was. It means that the future will be brighter than the past, which is important because the stock had come from, down from $46 to $39 ahead of the quarter with a great balance sheet, with a 3.5% yield, and with a strong pipeline, with a lot of optionality. Pfizer at 38 in the pre-market was just a steal, and the stock ended up at $4.77, up 3%. And in the end, people felt the guidance was in line. You know what the wildest and most wacky one was? Well, put it on your spin cycle, my friends. It was Whirlpool. The venerable appliance maker beat the forecast, earning $4.75. The street was looking for $4.23. But then it slashed its estimate. Oh, my. The long knives were out when they slashed its estimate. $15.98 to $14 to $15. It was nasty. I felt like getting my Bowie knife out when I saw that slashing. I felt like getting in the drying dryer myself and putting an end to all this. Putting an end to the misery. Shoot. No one told me you could do that. <laughs> We're all going to die. The street immediately went nuts with it. No. The street immediately went nuts, falling all over each other to bash the stock. And it quickly fell from 124 to 116. It was hideous, and the stock looked like the biggest loser of the day. But upon further review, the company ended up telling a compelling story on its conference call. And that explained why it shaded its forecast put a lot of evidence in about why it could be the last bad quarter. And given the fact that the stock was down 30%, the sellers dried up. Get this. This stock ended up up 20 points from that low, closing at 136, a gain of $12, third biggest winner in the S&P 500. The miss was regarded as a hit, given how low this stock had fallen. That's right. I mean, we thought it was a miss, right? We thought it was one of these. But instead, it was a... Whoa! Not bad, huh? Well, it's almost spring training. AMD? Well, after its rival, NVIDIA blew up. People assumed the very worst from AMD. They didn't get it. What they, did, what they got was a quarter that met estimates and a guide down that was much less than we got from NVIDIA. Lisa Sue, Dr. Lisa Sue to some, who will be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow, being interviewed by me and the gang, delivered a not-as-good-as-expected quarter when we were looking for a terrible NVIDIA-like quarter. There was nothing to eviscerate here. Because Sue didn't give you an NVIDIA. More on that one later. Finally, finally, there's Apple. Yeah, Apple. Wait, someone take... What the heck with that? Hey, you know what? I got an idea. Apple. We make it a permanent fixture. Okay? Finally, there was Apple. Oh, bear with me, will you? Okay, there we go. Finally, there's Apple. And what can I say about this one? First, we learned from Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, that while the company indeed had the lower guidance earlier, remember, at the beginning of the year, things were looking up in the month of January. That's a huge surprise, given that so many people, including myself, figured that as December goes, and December was awful, so goes the first month of the year. Now, we know that Apple didn't show growth in large part because of China, where business was down 27% as price cuts and weaker sales impacted the number very negatively. Emerging markets, very tough. Turkey, terrible. But the issue for those who hate Apple, 
sorry, guys, no more new ammunition. Buy haters, buy haters. For example, lots of people were saying that there would be a degradation of Apple's service revenue. Uh-uh, didn't happen, stayed steady. Some expected a slowdown in some of the ancillary products, like the watch. Nope, still on fire, Fortune 200 company soon. Others believe there'll be commentary about how some weakness in the ecosystem, the key to more service revenue, would mean a decline in service revenue. No, I heard the opposite. And for those who keep saying Tim Cook has, he's, he's got nothing big in the pipeline, you know, these are the non-innovator cat callers. Hey, wait a second. I think you're going to be wrong. He said there's a lot of good pipe. Oh, one more thing. Wowza, 40% cloud growth. The news simply wasn't horrible enough to sate the bears. In fact, the stock is trading in after hours above the pre-announcement price. Is it back? Hey, we got a trade deal. I think you got $180 stock up 20 from here. There just isn't that much risk now after we got the high sign on the January numbers. I couldn't have designed that better if I had just come out of here with a, with a bandsaw. So here's the bottom line. When you have expectations that are through the floor and you don't get huge blowups like you did with NVIDIA, then you have Tinder for a fire. And with the flame, you got something going. And that's just what we got from these five stocks. And if our friend, buddy, pal, Jay Powell, doesn't blow us up tomorrow when he does that Federal Reserve thing, I think we might be set for a decent finish to the week. How about we go to Alex in Georgia? Alex. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from super Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, my God. Good luck there. Good luck. I think (laughs) one of those two teams is going to win. How can I help? I wanted to see what your take was on Square, SQ. We got a major downgrade from Raymond James. Wasn't that brutal, that downgrade? Holy cow. It made me think, all right, so uh, après moi, uh, Sarah Fryer. Down seven. You know, it's a $28 billion company. I actually like it, but I like PayPal more. But you know what? Jack Dorsey is doing a great cut, great thing with both Twitter and Square. It's a twofer. So, Jack, because I know you watch, or at least your dad does, let's do this. And your ma, happy birthday. Remember that? You will do one block when you come on on Twitter, and the next block is going to be Square. And then we have it. All right, when you, when you have low expectations and don't have a huge ball, well, then you got Tinder for a fire. If pal doesn't blow us up tomorrow, I think we could have a decent week. Uh, call me an apple polisher <laughs> on Mad Money tonight. After Nvidia's nearly 14% decline yesterday, is it time to do some buy or is there still more pain ahead? I'm giving you my take. Plus, speaking of Nvidia, if it's an earnings report, is any indication things can turn on a dime for the tech stocks? But could there be names worth owning in the semiconductor space? Why don't we go off the charts to see the technical set? But first, Newcore and UE just produced solid results. But does it have the strength to continue to deliver sturdy returns for years to come? I'm talking with the CEO. So stick with. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. At Fidelity, we work to get you a better price for every trade. See how much we saved investors last year at fidelity.com slash price improvement. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC. You think- 
things have been more puzzling than the action to steel stocks. Earlier last year, President Trump slapped a 25% tariff on steel imports to protect our domestic producers from unfair foreign competition, namely cheap steel subsidized by the Chinese government dumped all over the world that finally ends up here. We figured the tariffs would be a major boon for American steelmakers, but their stocks have actually drifted lower since the announcement. In fact, I gave up on the whole group in October because the darn stocks just weren't working. Too many investors were worried about the impact of a worldwide economic slowdown. However, quarter after quarter, the actual results from these companies tell a very different story. Take Nucor, the best-run steelmaker on Earth. This morning, Nucor reported a record, better-than-expected quarter, capping off a record year. Company delivered a 13-cent earnings beat off a $1.94 basis, nearly in line revenue up 24% year-over-year. Management gave robust guidance. The tariffs are helping. Demand is strong. Yet while the stock rallied 2.79% today, it's still well off its high. So what's going on here? Let's take a closer look with John Ferriol, the chairman, president, and CEO of Nucor. Get a better sense of the quarter and where his company's headed, Mr. Ferriol. Welcome back to Bad Money. Congratulations on an amazing quarter. Thank you. It was a record quarter for our company. It was a record fourth quarter for our company. And it was a great year. It was a record year. So let's talk about uh, the cost of the tariffs. When the tariffs were put through, we heard a lot of people saying this is really going to hurt the bottom line of many of your customers. Now, I know you personally are in touch with all of your big customers because that's your style of management. Are you hearing that you hurt them or that the industry hurt them with the tariffs? Well, Jim, let me tell you that 2018 was a record year for Nucor, but it was also a record year for many of our customers. In fact, it was a very good year for manufacturing in general. When you look at 2018, Right now, the manufacturing sector as a whole is on pace to earn its highest margin profit, profit margin, since the beginning of the 21st century. So the manufacturing industry as a whole is doing very well. Our customers are doing very well. Now, you did mention right at the end of the conference call, uh, I actually just want, to, want you to tell our viewers, there are a lot of different lines of business you have. How are, them, how are they doing? You've got 24 lines. How many of them are doing well? Well, when we look at particularly going into 2019, we monitor 24 downstream businesses that we sell into. Of those 24, we see 23 of them either remaining steady or increasing as we move into 2019. So we feel 2019 is going to be another strong year for our company. Uh, I want you to talk about your return program because a lot of steelmakers have not done that well for their shareholders. Nucor has a different style of management when it comes to the dividend and buyback. What does it look like if things are so robust for shareholders? Well, we, we have a policy that we return about 40% of our earnings to our shareholders. Last year, we announced an increase in our dividends of 5%. And along with that, through our uh, uh, share we purchased program, we reduced our share count by about 4%. That's good news for our shareholders. All right. Now, you're putting up a new plan. Uh, President uh, Trump yesterday tweeted that the uh, tariffs have really helped steel companies be able to recoup some of the losses that they've been experiencing without a level playing field. I mean, it's important that everybody realize who've been following Nucor that there were many countries, particularly China, dumped well below their production costs. That seems to be over. Talk about the big win for U.S. that the president's saying, because you are building a giant plant in this country. Oh, we are, Jim. We're really excited about that project. Our new plate mill will be an investment of about $1.3 billion. It'll be located right in the Midwest. 
which is the heart, which is the heart of the plate consuming market in the United States. And by the way, the Midwest is also a very scra scrap rich area. So that'll help us also. We're excited about this. This will be the most modern state of the art mill in the United States. It'll have te technological capabilities that will allow us to produce 97% of the type of plate that's consumed in the United States today. Would, would you have uh, wanted to or would you have feared building that plant if it were not for the tariffs? Absolutely. When you look at the amount of plate that was being dumped into this country three, four years ago, it would really cause us to hesitate before making such a large investment. But given what's happened with the tariffs and the leveling of the playing field, we are confident, as I've said to you many times, that if we had a level playing field, we would compete successfully against any company or country in the world. Getting this level playing field has enabled us to make this investment, create these additional jobs. And Jim, as you know, this is only one of the new plants that we're building. We're currently building two additional mini mills producing rebar product. And we are currently investing today about $3.2 billion, increasing our earnings capacity through investments in new facilities and organic growth in our existing facilities. All right. Well, let me ask you one last question. I just want people to understand the, the, uh, the magnitude of this. You said in your, in your release, high-strength, low-alloy beam, this is a, one of your product lines, more than doubled in 2018. Using that as an example, how did that all more than double when many people are worried about the slowing economy? Well, one thing that I would mention is that this is a, a technological advancement that we've made producing a very special type of steel that brings benefits to the consumer of steel. This was a product that was not available in the United States previous to our investment in Nucor Yamato Steel. That's another example of the tariffs giving us the confidence to make these investments that end up creating jobs, creating business for American companies. Sounds like American Steel's back, sir. It's, it's great to be back. Well, I want to thank you. And I know you're, you have uh, a record of not laying off employees that many other people uh, would never think of being able to do in the steel business. And I think it's worth calling that out, too, sir. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. OK, that's John Ferrioli. He's the Newport chairman, president and CEO. Yes, the tariffs have helped. It's important to point that out. There are a lot of people saying they don't. You just heard about new jobs coming to this country that would not have otherwise been built. Stay with Newport. Stay with Kramer. I know the action in stocks can seem arbitrary and capricious. I get that. But more often than not, there is some method to the market's madness. Consider the curious case of NVIDIA. The maker of graphics chips have, have gone from a market darling to a total pariah in the span of just four months. Now, you may think it's ridiculous that this stock got hammered again today, down more than $6 once again. Look at this day, right? On top of yesterday's brutal 22-point pummeling, you may think it's excessive. Hasn't NVIDIA been punished enough already? Shouldn't we relent? Isn't this just too angry and mean and sad? Actually, no, it isn't at all. If you're only 40 years in this business, I can tell you there was no way NVIDIA was going to rebound today or even stabilize. Not, just, not after the company just pronounced some, really, pre some really heinous numbers. 
See, there's a pattern to these things, and that pattern tells me the stock has more downside. And I'm sure it'll bounce after the Apple number. Yeah, but, you know, listen to me here. You know what? In fact, I found myself flummoxed yesterday that NVIDIA didn't get hit a lot harder. Think about it. The company pre-announced a huge revenue miss, one of the biggest I've ever seen. They gave you a bizarrely bad guide down, as nasty as they come. And management talked about a whole new areas of weakness, like the formerly red-hot gaming business and the one smoking data center segment. When NVIDIA disappointed last time, they blamed it on the collapse of the cryptocurrency mining, which uses the same chips as gaming. But this was a much, much, much worse shortfall that was far bigger than crypto. NVIDIA's gaming business had been fantastic. Now, though, the Chinese government has cracked down on video games. That's hurting their business. The company didn't see it coming. NVIDIA owns a huge chunk of the data center. But as Intel's interim CEO Bob Swan told us last week, there's a major overhang in the data center build-out, and it's giving the component suppliers indigestion. Meanwhile, there are still some cryptocurrency holdouts who are returning their high-end NVIDIA graphics processors to dealers when they finally capitulate. That creates even more excess inventory, something that AMD has, but AMD has other businesses that are doing better. Now, those are the obvious negatives for NVIDIA. On top of that, there's another problem that's not getting enough attention. NVIDIA is in the midst of a huge transition from its current generation of graphics cards to their new Touring, T-U-R-I-N-G, graphics cards. And the company initially priced Touring too high. They've had to cut those prices dramatically. But demand is still pretty tepid. It feels like NVIDIA NVIDIA got too far ahead of the actual video game industry curve because there just aren't that many titles that can take advantage of such powerful hardware. It is great hardware. It's why I won't write off NVIDIA at all. I just want this stock to settle. And that's why the stock initially got slammed yesterday. Joe plunged 29 points at the opening to 131, reversing all of its gains for the year. And you know what? That move actually made sense to me. Okay, the first decline made sense to me. Why? Because when companies pre-announce to the downside like NVIDIA did yesterday, their stocks almost always uh, take out their 52-week lows. In NVIDIA's case, that's 124, down just 7 bucks from its intraday lows yesterday. But then the strangest thing happened. The stock rebounded at the end of the day. Like somebody sounded an all-clear and told you it was safe to buy. The darn thing rallied nearly 7 bucks from its lows, closing down only, yes, only $22. To me, actually, that's crazy. When your company pre-announces a devastating earnings shortfall and a gigantic guide down, indicating that business is much worse than people believe, you expect that stock to crash through its 52-week lows. That makes sense. Plus, NVIDIA's bounce was totally out of sync with how brokers typically handle orders during a big decline. Brokers like to show their customers uh, they, they got an average price that is better than where the stock closed at at the end of the day. In other words, you compare the price that they gave you with the closing price and say, yippee, I did better. So they've got a power incentive to jam the stock down at the end of the session to show their clients that their average selling price was higher than the close. That stuff really does occur. It didn't happen this time. Too many investors were waiting on the sidelines for NVIDIA to suffer a major decline so they can pounce on it into weakness. These impatient buyers, and I don't you, want you ever to be one, these impatient buyers don't seem to care whether they pay 128 or 138 Perhaps they knew enough not to buy NVIDIA at 238 or 280 where it traded only a few months ago. But after yesterday's initial sell-off, I think these bargain hunters believe that at long last the stock was finally cheap. They figured the problems were transitory, and my quiet admonitions to be patient meant nothing to them. They viewed the pre-announcement as a green light to buy, when in reality it's a stop sign. Maybe these traders just don't get it. Maybe they haven't been around long enough. After all, things have been so positive for so long that you have to wonder whether there's a whole new generation of managers who don't understand that when a company pre-announces like this, there's really not that much hope that the next quarter will be any good either, or else management would just shut up and wait it out. 
Now, all these buyers are getting slammed today as many of the analysts either downgraded the stock or cut their price targets. NVIDIA got taken to the woodshed again because the analysts know it has more downside. Contrast that with Caterpillar, which behaved very differently. Yesterday, when Cat disappointed, the stock quickly shed 13 points. I thought that was excessive. I thought that was too much. At those levels, Caterpillar sells for 10 times earnings, for heaven's sake. Now, this was not a great quarter, and the guidance was a bit discouraging, but the problems are mostly isolated to China. If we get a trade deal with the Chinese, Caterpillar instantly rallies 25 points. Most importantly, though, Cat didn't really bounce yesterday. It closed up just a point from its intraday lows. That put the stock in a much better position to bounce back today, climbing 1.7%. As no analyst downgraded it, many called the pullback a buying opportunity, and I agree with that. NVIDIA is the opposite. After the second guide down in a matter of months, the company expected to earn $5.87 per share this calendar year. And that's actually down from $7.03 last year. Down! Yep, 2019 is going to be a down year. Yet the stock trades at 22 times earnings. That's very expensive for a company with a negative growth rate. So where does NVIDIA deserve the trade? I've spent years tracking pre-announcements, and I recognize that ultimately the stocks almost always take out the previous low. When NVIDIA was trading at 124 in December, we expected it to be doing much better than it is. Of course, it should go back down to those levels at the very least. If you really want to bargain hunt after a nasty pre-announcement, you should wait for the stock in question to take out its lows before you buy it. And just under 132, that means you need to let it come down another eight bucks. That's the takeaway from today's decline in NVIDIA. When a company hits you with a horrible pre-announcement, you can't pick at its stock until it takes out its 52-week lows. Once NVIDIA comes down to those levels, then there's a case to be made that it might be worth nibbling at. But you have to understand that the buyers were way too eager with this one. Sometimes it's best to let a stock come, come to you, like an Apple did, which was incredible for today's session. Although, at this pace, I'm not sure when NVIDIA will get to where it's right. The bottom line? The stock market isn't always arbitrary and capricious. Sometimes it's logical and predictable. When a company pre-announces a horrible number like NVIDIA, and remember, that was, it was much worse than Apple, much, much worse than when Apple pre-announced, you have to expect that stock will take out its lows. And if that doesn't happen on the first day, that doesn't mean it's bottom. It just means you're going to get more weakness down the road. Believe me, that weakness is worth waiting for. And the bounce I expect from Apple and also the not-so-bad news from AMD, well, I think it's going to happen. I don't think it'll be long-lived. Loris in Texas. Loris. Hi, Jim. A big hello from the great state of Texas, home of the legendary Dallas Cowboys. A legend in your own mind there, sir. But go ahead. That's, I'm, a, I'm a peaceful man. What's up? My question, Jim, is about L.M. Erickson. They've put up a solid last four quarters. Stock is up 28% year over year. And now with the pending tsunami of 5G buildup coming, coupled with the recent setbacks at Huawei, the biggest competitor, by the way. What do you think? Okay, it's a, a great hold? question. I've been working. I have been working on, Loris, I cannot tell you how hard I've been working on Ericsson and Nokia. This one's better than Nokia. They do not have the technology that's as good as Huawei's. They don't. But because of the world ganging up on Huawei, I think you're right, and you can indeed buy Ericsson. And that is a qualified buy because the company is not as good as Huawei. They can come on and tell me otherwise, though. I'm an open-minded fella, just like I said about the Cowboys. How about Doug in the Illini? Doug! Hey, Jim. Hey, I'm calling about the FDC-Pfizer merger. Yes! It's an all-stock all deal, and stock prices are always fluctuating. Should I sell FDC? No! Hold no, on no, this it? is going to be the hold premier fintech company. The combination is terrific. Congratulations, Frank Bisignano. Got a lot of people good money in FTC. I like the combo. We need more fintech. This is the new fintech, and you stay in it. 
Okay, Dean in Ohio. Dean. First-time caller, lifetime listener. Booyah. There you go. First-time, long-time. Love that. Okay, China Mobile is my stock that symbols CHL. Wow. After building a multi-billion fiber optic network across China, it has over 900 million subscribers, more than twice Verizon, T-Mobile, U.S., and Sprint combined. Right. Even lower pricing, more, <laughs> even lower pricing than the ten dollar a month currently charged mm-hmm. to crush competition mm-hmm. reinvestment, or higher pricing creating a win-win. Describes China Mobile as among the cheapest stocks in the world. Well, <laughs> is it a buy? Thanks for it all you do. It is cheap, but as I've and look, I have to give you know we did a piece the other day about companies that are large size China that we like, not the little guys. China Mobile's one of them, and Alibaba's another. I totally get that, but I am concerned because I'm recommending China at, this is almost at a 52-week high, and it's up eight. Okay, NVIDIA's worth waiting for. It's a much worse pre-announcement than Apple. That's really the point. The worse the pre-announcement and a, and a love means the stock goes down. Apple was hated going into the quarter, and so therefore, Apple is a, let's say it's a fruit of a different color. Okay, I do, we got so much more mid money ahead. It's like crazy, all right? Uh, Despite NVIDIA's semiconductor's decline, I do think that, well, let's just say, uh, even though they're all over the place, I don't want it in your portfolio. And what we're going to do is we're going to go off the charts to find the semis that we do like. Then I got a message to Jay Powell ahead of the speech tomorrow. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Last night I told you this market has been surprisingly resilient. Even in the face of really troubling data like the dismal forecast from Caterpillar, which you know I think it's okay, and NVIDIA, which you know I have trouble with, a pair of household names, the averages have held up surprisingly well. Sure, we got hit today, but can you imagine if we'd gotten those numbers three months ago? The Dow would have plummeted 500 points, not 200. What's changed? At the beginning of the fourth quarter, the Federal Reserve had made it crystal clear that they were going to keep raising interest rates come hell or high water. Fed Chief Jay Powell obviously speaks tomorrow, but he told us back then that we need four rate hikes, one in December, and three more this year. But after three months of carnage, Powell changed his tune, suggesting that he'd be willing to exercise patience, hold off on more rate hikes, depending on what he sees in the data. In other words, we're now in a bad news, good news environment, meaning bad news is going to keep the Fed at bay. Every disappointing earnings report gives Powell one more reason not to tighten. So negative numbers from CAD or NVIDIA are arguably positive developments for the broader economy, as nutty as that is, uh, as long as our Fed chairman is true to his word. We'll find out tomorrow. But there's something else going on here, at least on the semiconductor side of things, and that's been a red-hot group until NVIDIA. NVIDIA is a major chipmaker for gaming, the data center, artificial intelligence, self-driving cars. Yet when its stock plummeted from 160 to 138 yesterday, and a lot more again today, there was hardly any negative pin action for the semis. The rest of the group arguably should have been flattened like a pancake. Instead, they just got dinged. Now, some of that is because Lamb Research, a stock, oh boy, a company I like, it's the capital equipment company, and a stock I think is terrific, seemed to call a bottom on its conference call last week with a $5 billion buyback. They told us things would get better in the second half of the year, which made it easier for investors to look past NVIDIA's grim forecast for the current quarter. The other major factor, I think it's the technicals. These stocks really got slammed in the fourth quarter, and they've been rebounding dramatically since Christmas. And I'm not sure what it would take to derail this move. So tonight, i got to drill down on this idea, which is why we're going off the charts. Very exciting segment. Carolyn Broden, brilliant technician, Fibonacci queen. 
She runs the FibonaccioQueen.com website. She also happens to be one of my colleagues at RealMoney.com and is a total go-to person for me when I am saying, what the heck is going on? So let's take a look at this read on the semiconductors. Let's start with the weekly chart of the VanEck Vector Semiconductor ETF, the SMH. Guys, when you're a hedge fund manager, this is one of those ETFs that you have at the top of your screen. You're constantly looking at it, trying to get a direction in the market. Just like the broader averages, the semiconductor ETF bottomed in late October. In late December, okay, so you saw the big, you know, boom. I mean, look at this thing. They just cratered the darn thing. Crucially, at bottom when and where Baroden's methodology had suggested it would. Remember how this works. Baroden measures past swings in a stock or an index and then runs them through the prism of Fibonacci ratios. That is a key series of numbers discovered by medieval godfather of mathematics, Leonardo DiCaprio. I <laughs> see if you're listening, Leonardo Fibonacci. Caught you. When she does this with the y-axis of the chart price, it points her to crucial levels. Look, I know it's nutty, but it works. Crucial levels where a stock might find support or resistance. When she does it with the x-axis, which is time, it points her toward a particular periods where a stock is most likely to change its trajectory. So look at what happened with the SMH. When this semiconductor ETF made its pivotal low in late December at $80 and change, it bounced off a floor of support created by a cluster of Fibonacci price relationships running from 79 to 81. Broden also points out that you had a confluence of Fibonacci timing cycles, six of them in the last week of 2018. In short, she thinks we were due for a bounce, and that's exactly what we got. The question is, what happens now? Where do the semiconductor stocks go from here? Because this is just history. So let's zoom in on the daily chart of the SMH. Now, if the pivotal low the group made in late December turns out to be a longer-term bottom, then Broden says we could see some real upside from here. Based on her Fibonacci methodology, she really she could see the semiconductor ETS vaulting to 123. Come on, man, that'd be huge! Or maybe even 135. Now, that would be, I know, seemingly impossible, but that's a 44% move. Stranger things have happened. However, that's not at all a sure thing. All right, so let's not uh, get too crazy here. According to Broden, there are some major hurdles we need to jump through before the semis can really take flight. And unfortunately, they're bumping up against those hurdles right now. What does this obstacle course look like? First, the SMH has a ceiling at 97. What's creating that ceiling? Symmetry. When the semiconductor index last gave us a sustained rally back in May, it gained $16.53. Broden points out that the SMH has already rebounded more than $13 from December lows, and that could mean that the current run is, uh, is ready to run out of steam. I know this may sound really crazy, but how stupid does the stock market have to be for a stock or an ETF to rally the same amount time after time? It's something like a child will come up with. Yet, you'd be surprised at how often this is exactly how stocks trade, and it really is how the SMH trades. Still, let's say the semiconductor ETF can clear the $97 uh, ceiling, okay? Then Broden notes that we've got to do another hurdle at 101. This is also partially about symmetry, because when this SMH rallied in February, it ran up $26.67, which would put us right around 101 if the current move turns out to be similar in scope. And like I say, these are the, these are the symmetries that we're looking for and when it comes to Fibonacci. But perhaps the biggest hurdle has to do uh, with the Fibonacci timing cycles I mentioned before. Remember, when the semiconductor, semiconductor ETF and the S&P 500, for that matter, bottomed in December, they both changed direction right when they ran into a cluster of these timing cycles. These are periods where a stock or an index is likely to change its trajectory. So in December, when we were getting crushed, a cluster of timing cycles was good news. But now that the SMH has been rallying, a bunch of these Fibonacci timing cycles could mean that the semiconductor index is about to pull back. 
And Broden points out that we do have a bunch of these timing cycles come due. When? Between today and Friday. So let's put it all together. And the SMH needs to run a series of gauntlets if it's going to keep climbing higher. First, the semis need to get through this week without experiencing a serious reversal. Now, maybe Apple will help, okay? It's not really a semi, of course, but it might help. Then the SMH needs to rally three to seven bucks to clear its two ceilings of, of resistance. If we can do that, then Broden believes the semis will be able to keep climbing. That's a mighty big if, but, you know, we've got some good news after the bell. AMD disappointed, but as I said at the top of the show, not so bad that it didn't actually uh, bounce. And Apple's worth watching. But uh, NVIDIA, obviously, on the other side of the trade. Xilinx, still good. Bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Carolyn Broden suggest the semiconductor cohort is facing some serious resistance. This week, which makes sense when you consider that this is the heart of earnings season. If the semis can make it to the end of this week without rolling over, she says that would be a good sign. And the upside could be significant. But there's also a decent chance the group will get slammed and retested to December low. Holy cow. Well, at least you know what the technical levels are to look for. Mad Bunny's back after the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the light round. Let's start with David in New Jersey. David. Hey, Jim, a big booyah from South Jersey. Go Birds. Go Birds. Given their, given their recent earnings beat and exposure to the real estate market, what do you think about Bank OZK? Interesting. Uh, I'm going to have to say that I don't really want exposure to that market and uh, to Ozark. And frankly, I got to tell you, it doesn't have the two. I need better than a 3% yield if I'm going to go to the regionals. The regionals don't act well. Scott in California. Scott! Booyah, Kramer. Love that. This is Scott from from San Francisco, California. How's it going, sir? Oh, man, we're just out there. It's terrific. I loaded the Vitaly and all my friends out there. Hey, let me know when you're in town next time. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. All I right, got good. a couple I like times want to co- meet you. Know, it's funny. I have a lot of coffee when I'm out there because, you know what, I don't go to sleep at least Tuesday and Wednesday. What's up? Hey, I'm calling about Patterson UTI. You recommended the stock a few years ago at 20. Yeah, there's... Now it's down to 10. Well, let me just tell you, like a Patterson UTI says it all, particularly UTI. I don't want to touch that one. No, not with me. I suggest you go into Slumberjack. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer. Nice to hear you. Dave, how you been? Good, good. Going a little bit mad with that knife and baseball bat, are we today? Ah, you know, what can I tell you? It's uh, just having some fun. Jim, on the Chinese calendar, the year of the dog is coming to an end. Okay. Notwithstanding... Everest Rescue Dog Marley, the late great bug, and I like IDEX Labs, IDXX. Dave, I agree with you. IDEX Labs is a humanization of pets, but you know what? You surprised me. You obviously did did not see my Street.com video where I renamed Marley Xilinx. I mean, Marley's got Xilinx all over him. Check my Twitter feed. I like IDEX, and I like Xilinx, and I'm like, you know, Xilinx ate a whole piece of shirt cardboard today. So he's not necessarily brilliant. But he's got a great-looking chart. Let's go to Jacob in Maryland. Jacob! Hi, Kramer. I'm asking DDD. It's going up and down for the last uh, year or two. Can you tell me so? No, no. Look, I, we got an upgrade today. It looks like business is starting to turn up. But you know what I say? If you want 3D print, then I'm going to send you to HPQ. 
HPQ is down too much. Neon Dion is doing a terrific job there. He's always welcome on the show. Let's go to Damien in Minnesota. Damien! Hi, this is Jennifer, and my son Damien has a question for you. Jennifer. Why not? Booyah, Kramer. I was wondering what your opinion is on the stock Carvana. You know, we did a very good look at Carvana, and we would have liked it if they weren't selling cars. I think the car business is not that good. I come at that because I look at Union Pacific and what Norfolk Southern say, and I think that, you know what, we're not going uh, to go there. I'm not saying it's Tivana, it's Carvana, but I'm not crazy about it. Oh, my God. We have to go to Preetha in Maryland. Preetha! Hey, Jim, how are you doing? I'm not bad, Preetha. How are you? Good, good. My question is on Abby. Uh The current dividend yield is about 5%, and the stock is trading near such two-week low. It's a good time to buy. Abby has to do an acquisition. People are very concerned that they are putting themselves out of business because their biggest drug is coming off patent. It yields 5.5%. They ought to just merge with someone. I don't know why they don't. The stock has been a straight line down. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. You don't need a PhD in economics to understand the laws of supply and demand. When the supply of widgets goes down or the demand for widgets goes up, you better believe widget prices are headed higher. That's how all markets work, including the labor market. So what the heck did we think would happen in this country after the government decided to restrict immigration down to the bone, reducing supply while cutting taxes on corporations, increasing demand at the same time that our birth rate has fallen to a 30-year low, another supply constraint? More demand plus less supply equals higher wages. I bring this up because tomorrow we hear from Jay Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and I think he's stuck a little bit between a rock and a hard place. There simply aren't enough workers to go around, so wages are rising. Just look at Brinker International, symbol Eat, the company that owns Chili's and Maggiano's. That's a pair of big national chains that can give us a good read on the economy. Today, Brinker reported earnings, and the stock went into a tailspin. <laughs> Down more than 10%, in part because they're having a hard time hiring people. Listen to what they had to say on the conference call. Quote, restaurant labor as a percent of company sales increased compared to the second quarter of fiscal 2018 due to higher wage rates, incentive bonuses, and employee health insurance. End quote. Brinker embodies everything that j worried about. On the one hand, the company actually put up some terrific revenue numbers. On the other hand, because of rising labor costs, Brinker's sales were less profitable brought less to the bottom line, even as they raised menu pricing. Oh, this looks really ugly from Powell's perspective. Rising labor and rent costs contributing to higher tabs for customers. That's inflation all over the place. It's the bane of Powell's existence. The house of pain. But as the co-owner of two restaurants, I can tell you how artificial all of these prices really are. We've had to absorb radically higher minimum wages, yet at the same time, it's harder to find people who will take entry-level jobs. Something that wasn't a problem five years ago when we opened Bar San Miguel, our small plate Mexican restaurant in Brooklyn. The thing is, a higher minimum wage isn't organic inflation. It's government-mandated inflation. Brinker faces another problem. A more competitive job market means they need to offer the workers better benefits, in this case, health care. So what's Powell supposed to do? Should he tap the brakes on the economy and make it easier for the Brinkers of the world to keep their labor costs down? Should he tighten so the Chili's can cut its menu prices? It's not like the Fed can magically create more workers. I say Powell should do nothing. 
People who work for a living are finally catching a break after years of flat wage growth, with the exception of C-suite CEOs. When you adjust for inflation, the medium income in this country is basically unchanged since the 1980s. I think we can live with a little wage inflation because of that. American businesses just got a huge tax cut last year. This is, supposed, this is actually what it's supposed to look like when some of these gains flow to their employees. We should cheer that. What's the matter with it? Can't Powell accept a little wage inflation? There are so many other aspects of the economy that are pushing prices down. There's Amazon versus Walmart, for instance, where 100 million shoppers choose the lowest price each week. Amazon's working on eliminating cashiers. There are 2 million jobs at risk. Uber Freight, we saw when we were out in California, is working to solve the truck driver shortage. They expect that their service could lower trucking prices by as much as 20%. You know what? People aren't even thinking about that. Believe me, if you give Brinker time, they're going to get their costs under control. But give them time. You, you can see the pressure the pal's under. I'm urging him to wait despite the pressure, as there will be adjustments and innovations that help companies keep their labor costs down. It's always been that way. It will always continue to be. I just want him to know that giving workers a bigger piece of the pie was not only expected, it was practically government mandated, and it is good for our country. Please, Chairman Powell, why not let this wage inflation pay, play out a little more? Consider an experiment to see how the new economy adjusts. If I'm wrong, you can always raise interest rates later on. Stick with Kramer. You know, I first told you about the service revenue stream and how it was going to be bigger than anybody thought, including Apple. Well, now I'm saying that about the watch. You heard it from me tonight. I think the revenue streams that come from this are going to be vastly overlooked. The revenue stream from services is going to grow and grow and grow as you get a bigger and bigger installed base. That's the focus, people. That's the focus. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. At Fidelity, online U.S. stock and ETF trades are commission-free. $0 commission for online retail Fidelity account U.S. equity and ETF trades. Sell order assessment fee in some account types and securities excluded. See Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC.